episodes drop the last Monday. It's a Welcome to the Matt Forgot That Podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions for the podcast, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to wish everyone a happy Memorial Day, and thank you to those who gave their life defending this country. On the last episode of the Matt Watch That podcast, I commemorate this day with movies, videos, and recommendations featuring people in service, so check that out. This is probably going to be my worst opening because the only thing I want to talk about is Stranger Things 4 Volume 1, but I don't want to ruin it for everyone. Like many fans, I've been looking forward to this for three years now. It was just released on Friday. I wasn't checking social media, didn't want any spoilers. I have to admit, I've been slightly underwhelmed so far. I was a little disappointed with the first episode. It was slow in establishing the different storylines and their locations and some of the new characters, but the ending was pretty good. Definitely had me like, whoa. My biggest issue is with the pacing. We'll be with the 11 Mike Will storyline, then they won't have another scene with them until 30 minutes later. The score has been excellent, no one should be surprised by that, but I expected more from the soundtrack selection. The most famous songs they've used so far was Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. Great song. Underrated artist. And maybe Amadeus? But I think that's all I can say. Otherwise, I'd feel like Joey from Friends talking in code about The Shining. All blank and no blank makes blank a blank blank. I'm sure it's surprising that as of this recording, I haven't gotten through all the episodes, but I'm pacing myself. I've never been a one-day binger. Plus, all the episodes are over an hour, so I'm working on two per day. I think it's going to turn the corner soon. There are plenty of bright spots that I know they're going to build upon. I mean, the second season wasn't my favorite when I initially watched it, but after the second or third time around, I got over all my little quirks about it and really ended up enjoying it. So that's what I expect to happen here, too. I look forward to watching things unfold. This is a Matt... After the fact, between the time that I had recorded this podcast and right before distribution, I was able to watch the rest of Volume 1. And while my criticism still stands about the pacing, I was 100% right that it got progressively better. And the way that it ended in Episode 7 was perfect. Definitely looking forward to Volume 2. I'll certainly rewatch Volume 1 before then. But if I had to order the seasons from favorite to least... It would still probably be Season 1, Season 3, Season 2, and Season 4. So far. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars. 1 star is Skip It. 2 stars Watch at Your Own Risk. 3 stars Standard Fare. 4 stars Worth Checking Out. And 5 stars Must See. 
Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Firestarter from 1984. I was going to view a different movie this week, but with the release of Stranger Things 4 Volume 1, I wanted to see a movie that inspired the series because Stephen King's fingerprints are all over it. I think Firestarter is a big influence over the character of Eleven, but it's been a while since I've seen it, so this should be a good refresher. It was produced by Dino De Laurentiis. 38 of his films were nominated for Academy Awards. His filmography includes Serpico, Death Wish, Three Days of the Condor, Ragtime, Flash Gordon, Conan the Barbarian, and Dune. He worked on other Stephen King adaptations, The Dead Zone, Cat's Eye, Silver Bullet, and Maximum Overdrive. It was directed by Mark L. Lester, who helmed Commando, Armed and Dangerous, and Showdown in Little Tokyo. But my personal favorite is a little gem called Class of 1984. Could be one of the first movies about a straight-laced teacher who gets a job at an inner city and tries to make a change. The screenplay was written by Stanley Mann, who scribed Damien Omen 2, Conan the Destroyer, and was nominated for an Oscar at the 1966 Academy Awards for Best Writing, screenplay based on material from another medium for The Collector, which he shared with John Cone. This movie was based on the Stephen King novel of the same name, the most prolific and successful writer in history. I'm not sure if that's true, but it sounds so. I've read Cujo and attempted it, but that some bitch is over a thousand pages. I got a hernia from carrying it. That's a lethal weapon. We don't need guns for home protection, just get everyone a copy of it. The cinematography was captured by Giuseppe Rusellini, whose filmography includes Duck You Sucker, Oedipus Rex, and The Return of Casanova. It was co-edited by David Rollins, who worked on Back to School, Sidekicks, Urban Cowboy, and The China Syndrome, and Ronald Sanders, who contributed to Coraline, Eastern Promises, and A History of Violence. The score was composed by Tangerine Dream, the electronic group best known for the songs Love on a Real Train, Force Majeure, and White Eagle. They wrote the music for Legend, Risky Business, and the video game Grand Theft Auto V. Their sounds inspired the score for the television series Stranger Things. This is what I remember. Firestarter had a very iconic movie poster. Drew Barrymore on the front with flames behind her, her hair blowing backwards. I know I've passed it a blockbuster and thought, is that Gertie? She didn't look like that innocent girl from E.T. I'm not sure if I remember this from the movie or read it in relation to Stranger Things, but I know that the father gets bloody noses when he uses his telekinetic powers. Now, I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. Andrew McGee runs through a crowd with his daughter, Charlie, in his arms. They're being pursued by a group of well-dressed men in a car. He jumps into a taxi and tells the cab driver to take them to the airport. When the driver protests, Andrew says he'll pay him $500. He passes over a $1 bill, then places his hands on the side of his head. He manipulates what the driver sees, making him think it's actually $500. Then he wipes his nose of blood. Andrew McGee is portrayed by David Keith, known for An Officer and a Gentleman, Daredevil, and Behind Enemy Lines. 
Charlie McGee is played by Drew Barrymore, who starred in E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Charlie's Angels, Never Been Kissed, and the television series The Santa Clarita Diet. A member of the famous Barrymore family, which includes Lionel, Ethel, John, Shemp, and Curly. We see a flashback to a medical facility where ten students have volunteered in a trial. Half of them will receive injections, which will be water. The others will be water mixed with a chemical compound called Lot 6. The particulars of the mixture is classified, but Dr. Joseph Wenlis divulges that it's a hypnotic mild hallucinogenic. The experiment will be conducted blind, meaning that neither the doctor or the students will know who received the water or the compound. They'll be under supervision for 48 hours, at which the side effects will be observed and noted. Andrew is one of the participants, and he takes notice of a young woman named Vicki Tomlinson when she asks Dr. Wenlis, When do I get my money? Andrew comments to her, I'm broke too. Vicky is performed by Heather Locklear from the television series T.J. Hooker, Dynasty, Melrose Place, and Spin City. Dr. Joseph Wenlis is acted by Freddie Jones of Dune and the Elephant Man fame. He checks on the status of each student patient, some of which are starting to feel the effects of the experiment. Those include Andrew and Vicky. He compliments the beauty of her hair, but doesn't say anything out loud. She can hear him in her head. Back to present day, Andrew and Charlie arrive at an airport. We find out that they no longer have any money, and he uses his powers to get change from a phone booth. Before they leave, Charlie observes a couple fighting. She stares intently at the man, and suddenly his boots burst into flames. Andrew grabs his daughter, and as they leave the airport, she says, I didn't mean it, Daddy. Charlie is very upset by the incident and alludes that she also killed her mother, but Andrew says that it wasn't her fault. This family has some issues. We see another flashback where Andrew and Vicky are married. They're teaching Charlie how to use her powers on a piece of toast, which gets burned. He tries to explain that she needs to control her power, otherwise bad things happen. Foreshadowing! A few days later, Andrew comes home to find the place has been ransacked. There are drops of blood on the floor, and he discovers his wife dead and daughter abducted. He ends up stopping the men from taking Charlie, punishing them with his powers, and goes on the run. Andrew suspects that the organization who conducted the experiments, the shop, were responsible for these actions, and want to use Charlie's power as a weapon. Firestarter is a decent movie. Not the greatest Stephen King adaptation, but it falls in line with Silver Bullet, Maximum Overdrive, Christine, Pet Cemetery. There were a couple of good special effects. When the man's boots burst into flames at the airport, that was pretty seamless. The side effects of the experimental drug could make someone squeamish. There were a couple places where it dragged. Maybe it could have been tightened up in editing, but I didn't mind it too much. I think it's an impressive cast with a lot of name people. In addition to those I mentioned, Martin Sheen portrays Captain James Hollister, leader of the shop. He appeared in Badlands, Apocalypse Now, The Dead Zone, and Wall Street. He was nominated for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series for West Wing, but never won, which is surprising. Actually, it shouldn't be since I reviewed the pilot in the Matt Watch That podcast, but that didn't seem to come up. He did win an Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series for Murphy Brown. George C. Scott acts as John Rainbird. His filmography includes Patton, The Hustle, and Dr. Strangelove. My friend turned me on to The Changeling, which I hadn't heard of, but it's a neat little suspense film. It was probably more effective back in 1980 when it was released, but it's still a decent movie. 
Art Carney from The Honeymooners and Louise Fletcher from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest play a married couple who take in the father-daughter pair for a little bit. Now, I'm not going to fault Drew Barrymore for her performance. I mean, she was only nine, but there were a couple of cringy crying scenes. Otherwise, she was pretty good as a little girl conflicted between being innocent and not being able to control her tremendous powers. The runtime is 1 hour 54 minutes. It had a budget of $12 million and grossed about $18 million at the box office. A remake starring Zac Efron is currently streaming on Peacock. Anyone else finding it odd that he's now playing Fathers? Wasn't he just in High School Musical? I actually watched the remake as well, and I'll save you from a full episode podcast review, but it, it, it was okay. That's about as exciting as I can get for it. I give Firestarter, the original, 3 out of 5 stars. Add half a star if you enjoy the 80s movies based on Stephen King novels. If you've seen Firestarter and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. I'm going to end each podcast with clips that you might have forgotten. It could be movie trailers, music videos, commercials, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Today I'm talking about You Can't Do That on Television. The series ran on Nickelodeon from 1981 to 1990. It was a comedy sketch show imported from Canada and inspired by Rowan and Martin's Laughing with a dash of Monty Python's Flying Circus. The cast was made up of young actors with only two adult members who would play various roles. It's the show that I developed my very first crush. It's also most famous for launching the career of singer Alanis Morissette, who was part of the cast in 1986, and sported what can only be described as a flock of seagulls comb over. There were two running gags throughout the show. If anyone said the word water, they would be doused with the liquid. Similarly, if a person used the phrase, I don't know, they would get covered in green slime, which has become a staple of the Nickelodeon brand. My family adopted the water gag. If anyone said the word, they would get dunked in the pool. I think most of us got tired of that pretty quickly. We eventually changed the keyword to school. You see, most of my family were made up of teachers, and as I was a student, none of us wanted to hear the word school during the summer. So if anyone were to say it, they would have to put a quarter into this Batman bank. At the end of the season, we'd have a party with an ice cream cake, which was bought with the accumulated funds within the Dark Knight. There was usually plenty. There were a couple of sketches seen on each episode. First, there was the opposite skits, where the actors would do the opposite of what they'd normally do. There were locker room jokes, which was similar in concept to the laugh-in joke wall. Lastly, they had a sketch with a firing squad, where El Capitano would try to execute one of the young actors, but eventually be outsmarted to where he's actually shot. Yeah, this was on a children's television show. I'm going to choose a couple of clips from the show to post. They're all available in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions for the podcast, 
use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for all the latest news and updates. And come back next time for the rewatch and the review. But Dr. Javosif, but Dr. Javo, I did it again. But Dr. Javosis, the cinematography was captured by Giuseppe Guzzolini. Guzzolini. If you enjoyed this episode of the Matt Forgot That podcast, make sure to subscribe to the Matt Watch That podcast for all the reviews, rants, and randomness.